Welcome to Paytech Talk, the podcast about payments. Today's guest is Jim Marus, co-publisher of The Financial Brand. Enjoy the show. Hi, Jim. Welcome to Paytech Talk. Here we talk about all things Paytech. This is a special series since you are here in town for the Banking Renaissance Conference and Retreat. So nice to have you. What are you up to? Well, for one thing, it's great to be on the other side of the microphone for a change. <laughs> I'm usually hosting podcasts, and to be on one is a different environment for me. You know, I'm not, I'm not directing the conversation. Hopefully, I don't get into that mode. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's interesting because we're now at the beginning of the opening of Walls to Events. And right. the good news is you get to get in front of large numbers of people like we did yesterday and today and tomorrow to be able to talk the business we're in, which is exciting. On the other hand, it's not as deep as what it used to be because organizations still are trying to determine if they right. can send people places. But this event was really special because we had seven people that were headliners for the event that Morton and Elena put together, and they were seven of the who's who of the of the fintech influencers and speakers on the tour and things like this. Absolutely. What was interesting is only three of us probably at any point had ever worked together at an event. This is the first time we had all of them at one event, which was kind of cool to get these people together, many of which we certainly haven't seen each other since before COVID. So who are you talking about? These, these, who's the, the lineup you're talking about? Brett King, Chris Skinner, Paolo Cerrone, Matteo Rizzi, Duena Bloomstrom, um, and oh, myself. That's, the <laughs> That's quite an all-star cast, including yourself. <clears throat> I, I was humbled by the fact that I was included, but it was one of these things you go, well, I don't want to be left out. <laughs> and, and it's interesting because, as I said, there's a lot of great leaders in this industry right now. Some of them were in the audience. And to, mm -hmm. to be able to be together, to share ideas, to be able to see what these people now, what they're, what they're talking about, because... Again, we, we stay in contact social media. We talk right, to each Right, but that's other. also, that's different than actually being able to reach out and touch somebody oh, and talk. We had a dinner last night. We're going to have lunch today. And that's kind of like, you know, I like to be on the fly on the wall on that one because mm -hmm. you get deeper into things that you Absolutely. don't talk about. Be social or business. So who are you, Jim Maru? Can you give us a short introduction of yourself? If anyone doesn't know. I'll try to make it as short as possible because... I have many years behind me, so it could have gone for a long time. <laughs> Came out of university, went right to work for a company called National City Bank, which is now PNC Bank in Cleveland, Ohio. Spent five years in the management training program, went on to a small financial institution that was also based in Cleveland, much smaller than National City Bank, but I was the marketing director. And so I was able to spread my wings, of not a big fish in a small pond, but a growing fish in a small pond. And then I went on to a third bank in Columbus, Ohio, which was at that point called a bank made up of from by the Resolution Trust Corporation. It was a governmental effort to put together bad financial institutions and thinking that if you put multiple bad financial institutions together, financially bad, mm -hmm. you'd make a good one. Well, that proved to be unintended consequences that just made a big bad organization. <laughs> and I, and I, again, they weren't bad people or anything else. It was just right. financially not a very stable organization. From that, I got into direct and digital marketing, well, just direct marketing at that point. Did that for 25 years at four different companies, 
but during that whole career at different companies, mm-hmm. all my clients and all the clients of the agencies were financial institutions. So I never got out of the financial services area. And then I went on to being more in the content creation space. And that was, as I spoke of yesterday, at 55 years old, I didn't want to become irrelevant. I said, how can I avoid that? And that was to do research on what's going on in the marketplace, mm-hmm. share that research, have people read it, and then continue to feed that feeder of insight. And that's where the podcast, that's where the report <laughs> business, that's where webinars all came into it. And actually, that's where the outgrowth of speaking came from, is that people read me in the financial brand. They heard me on the Banking Transform podcast. They read some of my digital banking reports, and they said, this guy may not be the most intelligent person in the world, but he he does see a lot of really smart people. (laughs) Maybe he'll share that with us. Question, which is your favorite medium of content? Is it a podcast? Is it like the written? Interesting. Or is it like a presentation? Interesting. Or a a video? Oh, geez. You just threw presentations in there. (laughs) It probably, from a day-to-day basis is podcasts. It is the heavy dose of insight from unexpected places that allows me to see things that you don't read in the press, be it my own press or somebody else's press. From a high, there's no high bigger than an event. I've been fortunate enough to be able to speak in front of 7,000 people at Money 2020. I've been able to speak in front of seven people at a financial institution Mm -hmm. guiding them on things. Every one is an adrenaline rush And for me, and we talked about this before the podcast, a learning opportunity. I don't go to any of these things trying to exert my will upon others to do something. I will share what I've heard. I'll be pragmatic about it. I will say there's no reason why you can't do this. And there's always case studies. And yesterday was a great example that a podcast I had last week with a small financial institution out of Everett, Washington called Coastal Community Bank is doing amazing things at $3 billion in assets through open banking, AI, the metaverse, and to transfer data to analytics mm-hmm. to experiences in such an amazing way that became actually on the plane coming over here into Amsterdam, (laughs) it became the core of what I spoke about yesterday because it showed that there's no excuses to not being innovative, not serving customers, not finding new opportunities, and not punching above your weight. And that doesn't mean it matter that if it's Chase or anybody Mm -hmm. else. And the importance of collaboration, that you need to collaborate in such a way that will make it so that you can punch above your weight. You just mentioned briefly the presentation that you gave yesterday at the Baking Renaissance Conference. Can you delve a little bit more into the highlights? The focus was on data, AI, personalization, and open banking as it relates to technology and the implementation of technology. And what I tried to bring up, and it always happens so fast, is that (laughs) what is going on in the marketplace? What are we, what's the problem we're trying to solve? How do we solve that? And and I talked about four major stages or trends that are going on right now, mm-hmm. from mass personalization to hyper-personalization, from businesses to platforms, from insights to experiences to really engagement. Mm-hmm. Engagement's the new major core item we have to do. And then basically looking at how do you get there? How do you achieve these things that have to be done, no matter what size organization? Mm-hmm. And the overlying and underlying theme through the whole thing was, You won't be able to accomplish anything without leadership that's willing to change because if you're not going to embrace change, you cannot buy yourself out of the problems by buying technology if the leadership does not put you in a position to be innovative, to have a challenger mindset, and to think outside of what you've done in the past. And I and I mentioned it yesterday that we're, we're challenged, especially the middle range asset financial institutions. We're challenged by legacy thinking because we're led by legacy leaders that came very successfully through the ranks for the last 20 or 30 years. And they've had profitable years every year. 
It's like going to the doctor and being told how you need to get more healthy, but you're not unhealthy now. Mm-hmm. And until you find out or somebody hits you upside the head and says, you're going to die or something's going to right. happen, you don't change your behaviors. Well, the financial institutions are the same way. They know there's a problem, but they don't seek the solution because they're not feeling the pain yet. In many cases, they're starting to. But those organizations that are ahead of the curve right mm-hmm. now, they won't have to play catch up the way the other institutions are because every moment you aren't learning today how to do things differently, you're going to have to make up somehow. With this message, how does this hit banking executives when you tell them this? Because I can imagine it's a little bit scary because they're like, look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Who are you telling me this? Oh, I need to change. I need to pivot. Like, who, who is this guy here with this message? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he's never done anything. Do, do you get the, <laughs> do you get the sort of uh, the sort of resistance but i mean they they have to know what's coming because we have big techs they basically just completely taken every customer relationship away from banks and saying this is how you deliver good ux personalization so they 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 have to see this because they're using these products too they're using apple pay google it depends on the audience i'll give you two examples i had a presentation a couple weeks ago to capital one Mm -hmm. their their cafe group so these people are the managers of their cafes the people that are in many cases, just major customer care people. I'm not sure what to expect, but I know what my presentation is going to be because I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of what they're trying to do in the cafe business. I walk into their meeting, about mm-hmm. 200 people, and they're dancing. They're just dancing. And I'm going, okay, this is not what I expected. <laughs> but what it was was they were energized. They were social people. It was the first time they'd gotten together for a couple of years. They hadn't seen each other for a while. And oh, they wow. were just grooving. And I'm going, this is going to go well because they're already thinking outside of what I consider to be banking. The reception was very positive. You could see mm-hmm. that you read the audience, and you're seeing the head shake, and you're seeing enthusiasm here, and you realize that you've left behind something that they'll say, yeah, I can do that. And yes, the customer does need what I'm doing. And I would tell them how it related to what they're doing today. Mm-hmm. They got it. I'll go the other way and say I was in Switzerland probably five years ago. Talked to a group of insurance executives mm-hmm that were in the underwriting and control and back office functions. I have never seen so many men in suits with their arms crossed <laughs> in my life. And unfortunately, my mindset was, I'm gonna uncross their arms. I'm not gonna ask for major things. I'm not gonna major, look for the head shaking, no. but I'm gonna look for them to uncross their arms. Not one not, of them, not, not, the whole not a single one. And I'm going like, <laughs> okay. So they're basically thinking I'm the demon because they were in charge. They were the people that are on annuities. The last thing they want is that things change. But if I looked at the audience, there weren't many that were going to be impacted majorly by what I was talking about because they're all at the back quarter of their careers in most right. cases. Now, the sponsors, the people that brought me there, loved what I said. But they had a different mindset to begin with. It's just that the audience wasn't ready. And then you get mixes. I really enjoy visiting individual organizations and talking to them about what is happening in the marketplace right mm-hmm. now. But every once in a while, you get surprised where you you, you meet a, an organization and you go, they already get it. So you have to up your game and all of a sudden pivot to something ah. that's grander and better. And you have to find that weakness that you didn't know right going in from all the research I do before I interview somebody mm-hmm. or go to an event. I, I try to research, where are they? And once in a while, you get surprised. And on the other hand, you get some surprise that you go, geez, I hope they take a little bit about this. And those are the firms that I stay in touch with because my mission is not go speak and move on. My mission internally to me is I want to stay connected with these companies and say, you can always reach out to me and say, is there anybody doing this? Because when you call me and say, mm-hmm. we want to do X that you talked about, 
that's my reward. It sounds very altruistic, <laughs> but the reality is I will then connect them with people that produce what they want to do and get them there faster and with scale. That's fantastic. You mentioned personalization, and of course, in hyper-personalization, and there was a third one, I think, a third sort of iteration. Well, actually experiences. Experiences, take, take there we go. all that to experiences, yeah. Because that's the name of the game in financial services, no matter where you are, if you're an insure tech, if you're just a sort of run-of-the-mill bank. It's in payments. You're a, you're a fintech or in payments. Yeah. But this is all from the consumer side, right? We want to make yep. them seamless easier, whatever that is. We want to make everything like ordering uh, some you know, burgers on an Uber or calling an Uber. They're really like the blueprint to that. But what about the user experience from the inside of banks for the people who you know make the loans? Great, great but, like, question. Because all the content is literally on the B2C side. But like, what about the person, you know, the loan officer in the bank or a user of sort of banking technology? The organizations right now that are setting themselves up for the best amount of success are taking data and insights and democratizing them. What I mean by that is they're sharing them with everybody internally so they can make better decisions, so they can serve the customer better, so they can make operations processes easier. And I mentioned yesterday, those organizations continue to use insights to build great reports right. that they distribute saying, here's your customers, here's what they're doing, here's mm -hmm. how they're doing it. Those are not going to be the successful companies going forward. What you can do with data and insights is you can make employee experiences better, but more importantly, you can make employees realize that they are part of the digital future. The challenges we have in financial institutions is every time we take a step forward from a digital standpoint, mm -hmm. there's people that are fearful being left behind. If we don't empower them to be part of the future, we have lost an opportunity because these people come with all kinds of legacy knowledge that can help us yeah. now. It's when that legacy knowledge is used as a defense to say, no, we should not use alternative mm -hmm. credit data to make credit decisions when really alternative credit data explodes the potential marketplace. It just Absolutely. changes it changes the products. And it's more fair. It's more it, democratized, equitable, whatever you exactly. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And as a consumer or as a business or anybody else, how can I make it so that when a consumer or anybody else calls the financial institution, that I'm going to get the same recommendation, the same answer from anyone on any channel, right. be it a chat or something else, that I can get that. In addition, how can I then take this data to improve my back office systems and, and processes, my right. automation, which gives that. Thirdly, how can I make it so that every employee knows that I'm giving the same, I'm reinforcing a message that maybe the person got in a chat Mm -hmm. Maybe they got an SMS text. Maybe they got in right. a direct marketing or a statement message or in a, on their mobile app. I will bring up the fact that based on your payment history, we'd like to increase your credit limit. And knowing that, that same message is being reinforced in other channels where if you don't empower the employees to do that, mm -hmm. they're going to feel that the machines are going to take over their life. They're going to take over what they do. No better example than the fear that has come out of November 30th's announcement by OpenAI about ChatGPT. <laughs> I think everybody goes, oh, crap, am I going to be out of a job here? Yeah, I mean, we're writers. I spend oh. most of my time in front of a computer writing stuff. And so do you, though. You spend well, a lot of time. And, and I have a new assistant, I'll be honest. And I use it to catch to say, have I missed something I should have brought up? Yep. You know, for your interview questions, you could have said, what questions should I ask Jim Roos <laughs> about his career? And I should have done that. ChatGPT Chat <laughs> may not have gotten all right, but that's your job to both ask the question correctly 
and to interpret the results within the context mm -hmm. of what you know. People, Absolutely. There are a lot of people out there that are complaining about other crappy answers. There's bad responses. I've learned over the last four months, there's only crappy questions. If you don't ask ChatGPT what you want in a, yep. in a way you want to get it back, yes. you will get it back in the way that it delivers it, which will right. be the most rote, most simplistic way with a lot yes. of bullets. I now tell ChatGPT, give me insights into this in an essay format with references and without bullets. Because yes. I'm not going to let it fall back to its yes, normal thing. It's possible. all incentive. Oh, and oh, I want it in 1,500 to 2,000 <laughs> words. I don't take that and make it my copy. What I do is I read that copy to say, what was the flow? Because the mm -hmm. flow is usually pretty strong. What was, is there anything that was a message that I missed in what I was yes. thinking? And then I'll dig into other references to get there. Yeah. So it's a tool, but it's only a tool as strong as the people that ask the questions and interpret the results. Yes, the prompts matter. Oh, and so does the data that goes into it. We've seen in the last couple of weeks that ChatGPT and implementations of things such as this can go rogue and get really ugly if you've included too much information that is not verifiable, and I'll, I'll say not social. Right, um, yes. If you included all social information, you're gonna get some of the same biases we have in social media today. Of course. On the other hand, if I ask conversational AI, given me in the context of CNN, MSNBC, mm -hmm. or Fox News, I will get a different answer. But the reality is we have to have humans involved in what's the input we're going to use as part of this analysis process. I think this can be a great tool from the standpoint of helping financial institutions build better content for conversations with customers. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be eventually a great tool to take, let's say, credit data and transactional data to say, what should I talk about to this customer that has these transactions? Yes. I mean, just think what Amazon, who now already does an amazing job of ranking my products that I want, how good it could be towards, it looks like you are doing podcasting <laughs> and here's some new equipment that you may be interested mm -hmm. in. Oh, and here's a book on podcasting you may be interested in. They don't have to dig too far to figure that mm -hmm. out, but to do it in a conversational way rather than just prompting with people like you have bought. Now, they do it in such a subtle way. And that's what financial institutions could learn from is, how do you do it without disrupting the normal flow of my life? How do you make it embedded? You know, how do you make it an Uber experience you brought up earlier, where the payments, the directions, the recommendations for what I should eat when yes. I get to where I'm going, the recommendations for entertainment and the rewards program are all built in, in such a way that kind of don't even notice it. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't notice the fact that over the last 20 years, in your case, that Google now, you don't go past the first page many times. And the only time you do is because the first maybe nine things are ads mm -hmm. and they're targeted, but not really well but you're not gonna go very far to look for your answer. What well, used to be that when you ask Google something, you'd have to go on and on I do and remember on. that. Yeah, they missed it, they missed it. Oh, there's one, okay, and they missed it, they missed it. And there's another one. Well, all this stuff comes naturally now. Your GPS system on your car. You know, I'm sorry, but I grew up at a time when you used to use AAA triptychs, which is these little maps that if you're going from Cleveland down to Florida, they would give you maps you'd flip, showing you the directions mm -hmm. and what's in the areas. Well, now you got electronic ways that not only tells you the way to get there, will completely change the pages if there's a traffic accident up in front yeah. or if there's construction. The real-time data. Exactly. Yeah. Crowdsourcing. That's what we're talking about here with content. We're talking about crowdsourcing mm -hmm. content to make it stronger. I think it's all good, but I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm you know not going to have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well put. So it's interesting from inside of the bank, as a bank user, 
I would think that a lot of like bankers are kind of scared of this more like cross-functional teams and also cutting the mm-hmm. data set silos. This is a completely different organization we're talking about here than a bank from like 95 or yep. even 2005 or even 2015. The mentality is different. It's interesting. There's, there's a book that just came out by a friend of mine, Lita Glyptus, called Bankers Like Us. And it's interesting because it's great narrative. She writes so mm-hmm. well, but great narrative on, guys, is this you? It's not an uplifting book in many ways, but it okay. is because she always at the end has a lesson that says, here's how you can become better. It's a decision you have to make. Mm-hmm. It's a decision as human beings we have to make. Do we want to be better than we are today or do we want to let the world happen to us? A lot of what's going on politically in the world today is the ability to accept change. Mm-hmm. If change is going to happen with or without us, it's how we respond to it, what we do. I look at COVID period when people are at home. It's the most amazing opportunity in the world for anybody to have done anything they wanted to do and still keep their day job. Because you had time at home, you had the ability in many cases, there's, there's a lot of exceptions, mm-hmm. but in many cases to transform your life because you were in a home spot and you were able to work to whatever level you did. The challenge is, is how accepting of change are you? You know, I'm lucky enough to be mature, and I'm not going to say it from a mentality standpoint, but from (laughs) an actual age standpoint, in that I've learned a lot. And one of the things I've learned is that you only have to be fearful of change if you're not willing to change. And then what I mean by that is if you stay static and the world changes around you, you're not going to be liking what's going to come out at the end. Because Mm. at the end, you're going to be in a situation that you're probably out of what you enjoy doing. If you can continually transform yourself and adjust to what's out there, you're not going to be fearful of things that were different, be it different people, different career opportunities, different ways to have fun. I don't want to be the guy that the get off my lawn guy. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, as countries, as people, as political parties, we have gotten into that. We've gotten into it in Europe. We've gotten into it globally. You name the place. We've gotten into most of what's going on right now. Are people fearful of what they see the world becoming? Usually, because you're not willing to accept change as it's happening. Only at risk, if you let yourself be at risk. And, and maybe that's a very utopian thought process, but I'm a believer. I've seen it with my wife, my son, and myself, that we all adjusted to change in the marketplace mm-hmm. and are no longer fearful of the worst thing that can happen, which is, I'm sorry, but for me, it's death. It's for my son, it's death. For my wife, it's death. Mm-hmm. And what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but I've made terrible decisions in my life. I learned from them, and I went on. And overall, it's kind of fun. I mean, you know, this team here, you're all looking at doing things differently and putting a message out there that says, here's some insights. Hopefully you can take them and make use of them. Right. You don't have to. You don't have to listen to podcasts. But if you don't, shame on you. (laughs) What's great about these engagements is there's always something I learn from them. Let's take your example. I engaged with you yesterday and Mm -hmm. the most unusual situation happened. In that within the first three minutes of talking to each other, we realized we're in Amsterdam and we met each other. We went to the exact same high school and lived three miles from each other at different times. We we didn't cross. I lived in Shaker Heights, Ohio. You lived in Shaker Heights, Ohio. We were able to talk about the dynamic of that community and what it meant to where we are today. If you don't learn from that, if you don't learn about the smallness of the world, Mm and the opportunities out there, and, and your career path, my career path, very different, but in the learning sense, you've, you've lost a great opportunity, I think. I think so, but that's actually funny because to wrap things up and ask you kind of a final question, remember 2016, 2017, when the fintechs were really coming up, like the big banking, like Revolut, Monzo, oh my God, they're gonna eat bankers lunch. And obviously in 2023, we look back and we're like, hey, well, that really didn't happen. It, it didn't it, completely make banks 
irrelevant. But it made banks very different. Banking changed because of the mm -hmm. fintech revolution, because of the digitalization of banking. No bank today doesn't exist without a strong digital presence. And every day the consumer is demanding more. Being digital does not mean that I can open an account in 15 minutes on my phone. Being digital means I can open it in three minutes on my phone. We're not there yet in the vast majority mm -hmm. of financial institutions, but there are fintechs that can do that. There are tech companies that can do that. The tech companies and fintechs that are still right. out there push banks to be better at what they're doing. In addition, they're making tremendous collaborators and partners for financial institutions that need help in specific areas. You know, one of my messages yesterday was, you need to collaborate with the specialists that know bits and pieces about what mm -hmm. you're trying to do better than you do. I, I, I talk often about new account opening. You can't build a good new account opening process without a partner because they will show you how other institutions got through the hurdles of people internally saying, I believe in everything you're mm -hmm. saying, but I'm still require this. And you go, well, that added five minutes. Just by saying those words, how do we get away from that? So fintechs now are the collaboration and the push to make you challenge yourselves as to how you get better. The revolution are not going to go away. The Starlings are not going to go away. The Chimes, the mm -hmm. PayPal's, you know, the SoFi's. I don't think any of those are going to go away. They may get acquired. They may acquire. But the reality is they're always going to push us as an industry to be better. I put a big warning call out there. I come back from the old school of banking where at one point traditional banks owned merchant relationships. Right. They used to own the little things that you use when you scan your card. At that point, it was a device that took the embossing of the credit card and did payments. Every bank was able to know every single thing a consumer bought. That was not a very profitable business at the time, and we gave away payments. Yes. Now in the banking Absolutely. world, instead of knowing what Jim Roos buys from A to Z, you know that Jim Roos made so many payments to Amazon, so many yep. payments to X, Y, and Z, but you don't know what those are for. PayPal. Amazon yep. owns the data of who I am. My financial institution only owns the data on my flow of funds. We can't get into that risk environment again. We need to partner with those organizations that have brought digitalization to life in segments and made micro segments and the underbank profitable or at least a good business decision and use those to our advantage. So fintechs are not the boogeyman, but they should scare us and put us on warning. And they are partners in the future. Right, exactly. As long as you're willing and able and open to learning from what they have to offer. As I said, <laughs> as I said in my finale, and I've said it for years, leadership needs as well as employees need to embrace change, be willing to take risks and disrupt themselves from a personal and professional basis. If you don't do that, I believe you've left the best part of life on the table. Well, that's a great thing to end the podcast with. Well, thanks for coming on the pod. I really enjoyed this. We should do this again. You know? We will. Maybe I'll do an interview with you next time. Oh, great. You've just been listening to Paytech Talk, the podcast about payments. Today's guest was Jim Marus, co-publisher of The Financial Brand. Paytech Talk is brought to you by Cognito Amsterdam. Thanks for listening.